I want to thank Research FDI for sponsoring today's podcast. They're a globally renowned lead generation firm that helps economic development organizations create real prospects. They've helped over 500 economic development organizations. Let me tell you exactly what they do. They facilitate one-on-one meetings for economic developers with corporate executives who will have projects soon. They can facilitate these meetings to where you travel to the corporate executive's office and meet them there, or you meet them at a trade show, or even have a conference call with them so you don't have to pay for travel. They recently launched a service called FDI 365, which provides you a lead a day of fast-growing companies that will be expanding soon. Their research has helped over $5 billion worth of projects get cited since inception. I encourage you to go to www.researchfdi.com to learn more about Research FDI. As far as I'm concerned, they are absolutely the best lead generation firm in the business for economic developers. Call them at 514-488-3168 and see how Research FDI can help you create real prospects. Hello, this is Chad Chancellor with Next Move Group. Before we begin today's podcast, if you've been enjoying our podcast series, Please go over to Apple Podcasts, leave us a five-star review. That'll sure help us out. We'd appreciate it a whole lot. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Next Move Group We Are Jobs podcast. This is Chad Chance, the co-founder of Next Move Group, and today's guest is Jay Shabbat. He is the founder and publisher of Econ Weekly, which is a newsletter that covers developments and trends in the U.S. economy. I've enjoyed reading it. comes out every week. So, Jay, welcome to our show. Thanks so much, Chad. Well, first, tell us a little bit about Econ Weekly. Yeah, so Econ Weekly, as you described it, it kind of... Uh is a, a weekly newsletter that uh, updates people on the major trends and developments in the U.S. economy. And it's really designed for people that, you know, don't necessarily have time to read every word of the Wall Street Journal every day, but just kind of need to know what's going on in the U.S. economy. So, you know, we hope you, uh, for anybody that reads it, I hope you, you know, kind of come away saying, hey, I learned a lot and it was interesting too. Well, you know, what I like about it, it's very bullet pointed. And that's how I read and think. And you don't have to be a lawyer to read it. You can scroll your right, bullets right. and see which ones you like. That's very much what I like about it. So I'm sure my listeners will want me to ask you what you think about the state of the U.S. economy right now. The stock market's up and down every day. What is your general thoughts right now on where we are? The first thing to say about the economy right now is there's just a very, very high level of uncertainty because of all that's gone on with the pandemic and whatnot. The big issue, as your listeners will know, uh, inflation seems to be front and center on everybody's mind. If I had to sort of encapsulate the economy right now, demand side of the economy is very strong, but the supply side is very constrained. Those supply constraints are contributing to a lot of the inflation problems. So, you know, how persistent will inflation be? You can find, you know, really smart people on both sides of that argument. And, you know, one of the things we try to do in Econ Weekly is discuss, you know, those arguments and the merits of them. So really, really hard to say, you know, how much of a problem it will be. But in general, like I said, right now, demand is good. And if you look at sort of throughout corporate America, companies are making money. As you and your you know, people in your business know, the state and local governments are in pretty good health right now. So there's a lot to be you know, content about. And so before we get too far, we'll say this several times. If folks want to subscribe to your newsletter, how do they go about doing that? Yeah, so we have two versions. 
we do have a free version and it's at econweekly.substack.com. You can yeah sign up for a free sort of an abbreviated edition. And then our website, our regular website is econweekly.biz, D-I-Z. Now, I know you also have a background in airlines and you write a newsletter for the railroad. So are you an economist? Or are you a media person or kind of what's your background? What gives you this interest? <laughs> yeah, good question. Um, I guess a little bit of both and a little bit of neither. But I spent 16 years writing a newsletter about the airline industry. Prior to that, I actually worked in the airline industry for a few years. I worked for a couple of different airlines themselves and pricing and revenue management. So yeah, for 16 years, I wrote that newsletter and then I wound up selling it a couple of years ago. So yeah, that's sort of my main background, but I've always been interested in the economy, which is sort of why I'm doing what I'm doing now. And then, yeah, like you said, I kind of do a railroad one also now. So talk about the railroad one, because many of our listeners will be economic developers, mayors, and so forth in communities with railroads. So what perspective of the railroad are you looking at in that newsletter? Yeah, so we cover sort of the finances and the development of the big class one railroads. There are seven of them in North America. And it's kind of funny because the airline business is a very, very, very difficult business. You know, in the last 10 years or so, the U.S. airlines have done rather well. But historically, it's been a very low margin, hyper competitive business. The railroads are kind of the opposite. The margins for these railroads are just phenomenally high. They're all doing very well. So one of the big questions is how healthy is that for the economy? And there's, you know, arguments on both sides. So, yeah, well, it's great that we have, you know, a very vibrant, profitable railroad industry. But then, you know, shippers sometimes don't feel that way because obviously when you're making that much money and the there's only seven railroads, the pricing power can be somewhat, you know, rather strong. So we cover a lot of um, issues like that. Yeah. So yesterday on my stock show, I watch, I think it was KCS got taken out of the S&P 500. Of course, they've been going through this merger and all. I don't know where that stands. So yeah, you've probably got a lot to write about this week. With, with Very that. much so. Yeah. In fact, I, 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 <laughs> I was uh, working on that this morning, but I was writing about that this morning. They're, uh, the, uh, yeah, exactly. A Canadian, a big Canadian railroad bought Kansas City Southern, and which was the smallest of the seven that I mentioned. And yeah, so the question now is, you know, will it get approved? So the Surface uh, Transportation Board, which is you know responsible for regulating the U.S. railroad industry, they're now reviewing that merger to see if it's going to go through. Well, I want to talk a little bit more about the Econ Weekly Newsletter, and then I want to get a little bit into the airlines because I get on a lot of planes. Tell these people, if they've never seen Econ Weekly, I mean, what type of stuff do you typically put in there? I mean, just to help them visualize what type of information you might have in the newsletter. So we start off each week with sort of a summary paragraph of all sort of the biggest developments that are, you know, happened that previous week. Just so, you know, someone who's whatever too busy, like I said before, read the every word of the newspaper every day, just to sort of know, you know, kind of the big things have gone on in the past week. But then we also have sections where we profile a couple of companies each week. We look at, you know, one or two sectors. We have a section on uh, what's called looking back, where we talk a little bit about, you know, some things that happen in the history of the U.S. economy. We also have a section looking forward, where we talk about some, you know, sectors that are emerging as, you know, potentially very big, including you know, some of this crypto economy stuff, which is very, very much interesting and potentially very disruptive to the financial sector and perhaps others as well. So yeah, it's kind of a grab bag. And then we also have one section every week where we profile one particular place in the United States. It could be a city, it could be a small town, it could be a state, region, 
So just for example, our latest issue, we have a profile of the economy of Huntsville, Alabama. I had never been there. I didn't even know all that much about it, but it turns out it's a you know, very vibrant, thriving place with a you know, very important space economy. So uh, yeah, that's the kind of thing we do each week. So there's a whole lot in there. I know you did a profile of Yuma, Arizona, because that's how you found us. We had just did a podcast with folks from Yuma. And then, so that's how we found each other. So what other, maybe one or two towns, and I don't want you to pick favorites, but what communities have really stood out of those profiles that maybe surprised you versus what you would have thought going in? Yeah, good question. Um, And yeah, they're they're also interesting, but uh, I guess one that comes to mind, uh, Los Angeles was, uh, you know, it's the second biggest economy in the U.S. after New York. And I just didn't really know why. So kind of digging into that was really interesting. I hadn't realized, for example, that, uh, you know, that was that was a big oil boom town going way back. Uh, you know, I always think of oil, Texas and Oklahoma, but Southern California, that was very much the case. And then uh, even, you know, it's interesting to think about during the 1970s and 1980s, think of who the presidents were, you know, Richard Nixon, Ronald Reagan, both were from Southern California. I don't know how much, you know, influence that had to, but you can just see how Southern California started just taking on so much more prominence in, in the overall national economy. 1980s, a very, very important decade for Southern California. Tons of defense spending that got filtered in there, created huge aerospace industry, a lot of technologies that kind of spilled over into what would become the information technology economy of the 1990s. That was more famously the case in Northern California, but certainly in Los Angeles area as well. And then, you know, now at the ports, I mean, LA Long Beach ports, that's, you know, I think they handle more ports than or more cargo than all the other US ports combined or something like that. So uh, yeah, so that, that one interested me. But of course, there's something interesting about everywhere. We're going to take a quick break for a message for our listeners. Be right back right after this. I want to thank LocationOne.com. Some of you know it as Lois for sponsoring today's podcast. In my opinion, Lois is the best buildings and sites database on the market. One of the reasons I think that is it gives you nationwide exposure. So I used to be the economic developer in Paducah, Kentucky, and I made a terrible mistake. I only put my buildings and sites on the Kentucky Economic Development Buildings and Sites database. Well, Paducah bordered Illinois and was within 30 or so miles of Missouri, Indiana, and Tennessee. So what sense did it make for me to not put my bills and sites on a nationwide database? Well, Lois does that for you. Looking back, I should have put my bills and sites on Lois. It's also easy to use for an economic developer. It's just like using Facebook. It walks you through how to insert your pictures and your information and so forth. And the thing I like most It works well on my iPad. If I'm in an industrial building, I want to be able to look at that thing on my iPad. Lois does that for me. Other buildings and sites databases struggle with that. So if you got 10 or 15 minutes to spare, go over to location1.com, book yourself a demo, and see if this can help your community have more success. So do you spotlight a different city each week or once a month, or how often do you do that? Every week. So, uh, yeah, like I, you mentioned Yuma, um, I think that was the week before we did Huntsville. And right now I'm working on one on the upper peninsula of Michigan. Awesome. Um, another place that I just don't know much about and finding out, you know, just kind of what makes the economy tick there. Yeah. Well, I was just in uh, Duluth, Minnesota mm-hmm. and uh, staying at this beautiful hotel and sitting at the bar having a drink and up comes a couple from Shreveport, Louisiana. 
And of course, I live in New Orleans. So, I mean, they just happened to sit down there, two Louisiana people in Duluth, Minnesota. And we got it's to talk. <laughs> they live in Idaho in the summer and they travel back to Louisiana for the winter, but they make a big circle. They don't just go straight there, they drive. And it's like a two to three week thing. And they will, they come to Duluth and they were about to go up through the upper peninsula of Minnesota and fool around and make their way all the way down to, uh, down to Louisiana. So <laughs> just kind of interesting coming from Idaho. And, uh, and they actually were pretty, we have a client in Idaho and they actually stayed pretty close to them. So I thought this is kind of ironic. These Louisiana people sat down to me from Idaho, but speaking of traveling, now, I've been on a lot of planes lately, and they are all full. So what is going on in that market? Tell us what's going on in the airline industry. Yeah, so the big story of the airline industry right now, and I don't follow it quite as closely as I used to, but uh, the leisure travel uh, in the United States, domestic leisure travel, is pretty much, uh, you know, roughly speaking, back to where it was uh, in 2019, where the airlines are really still lagging is the business travel and then some of the big airlines like United and Delta and American, they rely a lot on the sort of the intercontinental stuff, you know, flights to Europe and Asia. That stuff is still very, very much behind. Yeah, there are certainly markets that are doing extremely well. Um, Florida comes to mind. Everybody's going to Miami and, you know, some of these airports are busier now than they were ever. And you have um, what we call sort of the, the mid-continent hubs. Dallas and Denver, Atlanta, Charlotte, places where a lot of traffic gets filtered through, those airports and markets are doing very well right now too. A few others would be markets out in the uh, Rocky Mountain region, which fared relatively well during the pandemic, Salt Lake City, Denver. So there are definitely pockets. On the other side of the coin, the places that are really struggling are, you know, the New Yorks and the San Francisco's, the big cities that had a lot of international arrivals. Those are places that still you'll see, you know, air passenger traffic down 30, 40% still. So domestically, are there less flights? Is that why there's more people on one? Because uh, for instance, and I know that may vary by obviously route and airline, but uh, I live in New Orleans. We got office in St. Louis. So I go there a lot. Southwest, the only one that flies that uh, without me having to connect. And, uh, Used to, we had two or three flights a day. Now we have one a day and it doesn't even fly on like Saturday. So like maybe six a week or something. And so therefore the flight's always full. Is that kind of what they've done with all the cities or is that just a a unique situation, the New Orleans to St. Louis? Yeah, no, that's generally true. The airlines have had to cut a lot of capacity just because, yeah, the, the, you know, you can imagine if you don't have the business demand, a market like New Orleans, St. Louis, which is yeah, very much a Southwest market dominated by Southwest. Southwest, it's funny, people people tend to think that Southwest is a leisure airline because they're a low cost type, that's their history, but they actually very much depend on business traffic. So, you know, a lot of that is gone. So they, yeah, they've had to, you know, consolidate the traffic that they've had onto fewer flights. And they have all sorts of systems that can, you know, sort of forecast how many people are going to be. They optimize for filling the flights. Obviously, that's you know yeah. kind of the best, best way to do it economically. So things are still pretty full. We're going to take a quick break for a message for our listeners. Be right back right after this.
Hello everyone, Gabby Molise here to highlight this week's Executive Search Spotlight. This week we are going to spotlight the Burke County Georgia Development Corporation as they are seeking a new Executive Director. For those of you who are unfamiliar, Burke County is located along the eastern border of Georgia in the Coastal Plain region. Burke County is part of the Augusta, Georgia, MSA, and borders South Carolina, and was one of the eight original counties of Georgia. As Georgia's second largest county by land, there are plenty of attractive sites ready-made for business. The role of the Development Authority of Burke County is to promote, develop, and advance the economic growth in Burke County. So to learn more, you can visit thenextmovegroup.com backslash Burke or contact Brittany McCoy with the Next Move Group with any questions. After the hurricane hit, the flight went away totally for like two months. Then it came back. So I'm always monitoring it because that's my only flight to St. Louis. And, I, and that's just a flight that I fly a lot. Uh, you know, New Orleans Air Service has really picked up before the pandemic. We now have a, a international service to, I believe, uh, both England and Germany. And I think at least one of those have come back since the pandemic. But uh, talk about some of the other hot markets where airlines are adding some new flights. Yeah, well, as, as you'd expect, any city that has strong you know demographic and economic growth the austins the nashvilles the raleigh durham's of the world they're all doing very well that was true before the pandemic it's true right now i think i was looking the other day i think the market with the largest increase versus 2009 in seats was miami but you'll find the austins and the nashvilles on there as well boise idaho's you guys would be kind of close to that as well, like just monitoring the local economy. I mean, anything with a lot of population growth, a lot of economic growth, or a lot of tourism growth, you'll see, you know, healthy rates of growth. And as I mentioned before, you know, some of the places still struggling or, you know, some of these very, very big cities that depended on international traffic. I haven't actually looked at New Orleans. I'll have to look at that. But I imagine New Orleans is doing relatively well because it's a leisure dependent type yeah. market. that doesn't, yeah, there's not a whole lot of corporate traffic. I mean, there certainly is, but it's more of a leisure market. The other thing about New Orleans, it doesn't depend that much on the intercontinental stuff that's completely dried up. So as you mentioned, you know, British Airways started a flight from London. So they were starting to develop that pre-pandemic, but they were never really dependent on it, which is a good right. thing. Yeah, we had just built that new airport and then the pandemic hit yeah. right at the time that <laughs> right at the time we built it. A little bit of a bad timing, but long, yeah. long term probably. Timing. But yeah, the flights I've been on just recently, I flew New Orleans to Denver. The Friday after Thanksgiving, which you would not think there'd be a lot of people on because you'd figure your Thanksgiving traffic went Wednesday, you know, and the thing was full. And then I went Denver to Vegas. I didn't want to come home yet. So I went Denver to Vegas after the Broncos game and that flight was full. And then I went Vegas back to New Orleans and that flight was full. And so every flight I've been on just here recently. Has yeah, been the, fa the fares are not even that cheap anymore. I mean, no, the Southwest crazy. fares are expensive. They can't say they're yeah. the cheapest anymore. I typically fly them because out of New Orleans, they got my best options. But I mean, we have everything else here low call. We got Spirit and Frontier and all, you know, all of those ones. Uh, and, and, and those airlines, by the way, you mentioned the Spirits, the Frontiers, those kind of we call them ultra low cost carriers. Growing Allegiant is another one, growing very, very fast. Mm -hmm. I flew Spirit home. They're doing stuff now. They didn't use. They had internet. They never used to have that. They had certain. They actually gave you coffee or so. I can't remember, but I remember thinking nice. last time I was on Spirit, I was stuck on here for three hours with with nothing. So, so it worked out good. Well, how did you get into the airline industry? Since that's kind of where you got your start. Yeah, good question. So I went to school, University of George Washington University in Washington, 
I was actually an intern at the White House at the time, same time as Monica Lewinsky, incidentally. So that kind of reveals my age. I was working with someone there whose spouse worked for what was then called U.S. Airways and turned out she was able to get me an internship. So I did my internship and I, yeah, I didn't, didn't really know much about airlines, but I uh, absolutely loved it. I got hooked. So that was my senior year of college. They hired me, you know, right out of school, did that for a couple of years. Then, yeah, after graduate school is when I started Airline Weekly, which was my airline newsletter. I sold that in 2018. Awesome. Well, as we sort of start to wind down, tell these folks where to get a hold of you. And uh, you can go to his website, econweekly.biz. But tell these folks if they want to learn more about the railroad and the other options you have. Yeah, great. So, yeah, uh, econweekly.biz, as Chad mentioned, that's, a, that's our website. We have a sort of free abbreviated version. That's at econweekly.substack.com. And then for the railroad, you can go to railroadweekly.substack.com. Or you can email me as well. I'm happy to answer any questions. It's uh, just J-A-Y at econweekly.biz, B-I-Z. And if the folks are interested, you know, if they say, hey, we'd like you to spotlight our economy from one of your issues, that's something you're interested in. If one of our people wants to reach out and says, hey, put me in one of your issues. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, please do uh, contact me and would love to talk and learn. Yeah. All right. Well, Jay, as we wind down, is there anything else you want to share with our listeners? No, I really appreciate this chat. It was a great chance to talk. Enjoyed the conversation and yeah, hope to yeah stay in touch. All right. Thank you very much.